0: Today's episode of the Gold Cast is unofficially sponsored, or I should say, I am promoting dunkoncancer.com. I think last episode, actually, I know last episode, I said dunkoncancer.org. I think you could still find it pretty easy, but it's dunkoncancer.com for every dunk that is being made i'm donating one dollar to cancer research this is a uh, this is being performed by, this is being put on by kevin o'connor whose father was recently diagnosed with cancer and he decided to turn this into a positive kevin o'connor is one of the best nba analysts in the game works for the ringer.com and so i am supporting and pledging a dollar for every dunk that happens so the more games that happen the more money that we give, and before game two, the, before game three, there was approximately 14 dunks that had happened, so I don't know what the count is after game three, but I am doing this. Go check out dunkoncancer.com. Dunk on All right. We have a killer guest today. Candlestick Will, known by his real name, Michael Saltzman, comes onto the show. He He's... He's fantastic. The analysis he's going to give is great. You guys are actually going to love him. He, we start with a, just a discussion of how we met. We talk about the Giants. We, you know, we get into a brief discussion about the Giants, where they are, where they're going to go, and then we well, then we get into a great discussion about the overall just dynasty that San Francisco has been experiencing. You know, we pump this in your guys' heads all the time. It's great to talk about it with another guest, and then we go into a deep, deep dive over this Warriors. NBA Finals run. We talk about everything, everything leading up, the Warriors leading up to this moment, and where they are now. This conversation is awesome. I'm very excited. Can't wait you guys for you guys to hear them. And before you do that, remember you can find the Goldcast on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, all places where great podcasts are sold for free. You can like, subscribe, follow us at the Gold at the underscore Goldcast on Twitter. On YouTube, YouTube youtube.com slash thegoldcast and facebook.com slash cast. All right. Always, we've got a ton of reader comments that are starting to come in. I know we we – I will get to those on Sunday. I'll get to those on Sunday. We'll reach out and – because a lot of people have been responding to us, especially because YouTube is kind of the place to go for those comments. So I appreciate it. Like, subscribe. If you're on iTunes, give us five stars. Five little stars. Give us 10 stars, even though they don't allow it. Give us 10 for the five. Helps the algorithm. Keeps us at the top. Now, we're here. There's a lot to talk about. Warriors, Giants, even a little bit of 49ers. We managed to squeeze a little bit right at the end. But before we get started, of course, your professor of fanalism is here. Class is in session. Let's go.
1: San Francisco, are you ready?
0: This is the Gold Gap. All right, folks, as promised, my special guest for today is a gentleman by the name of Michael Saltzman, aka Candlestick Will. So I have to tell you guys this story because this is a great story. So, Candlestick Will, aka Michael Saltzman, and I met on Twitter. When David Carr put out that ridiculous post about saying that uh, Joe, which I just to me was total clickbait, which we talked about a couple weeks ago on the Goldcast, that Joe Montana wasn't even a top 10 quarterback. And I remember you posted a list. It was like a, a list on Twitter about uh, top 10 quarterbacks and you had David Carr. It was like dot, 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 dot. David Carr. I think it was like in the four
1: hundreds. Well, I, I kept it pretty simple. I had Joe Montana one, Tom Brady two, because the, you know, those, those two clearly are the, the standard, especially in the Super Bowl era. And then I just skipped all the way down, put his brother, you know, uh, somewhere in the four hundreds. And then I think I put him somewhere in like, I don't know, 9,000. So, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but it was, it was pretty bad.
0: Um, and well-deserved
1: and just with the idea that it's like, okay, you you two are nowhere near the area code of some of the legends. So I have, I have I've never had a problem with a guy who's you know didn't have a great career having opinions about the game. But when you say that, that Joe Montana's not top ten, it it, it definitely makes it easy to uh, to pick, kind of pick apart uh, the opinion.
0: Hundred percent. And I remember I linked to that, so I linked to it. And I uh, and then and because I had seen a bunch of stuff on it, but I saw your post and I thought your post was hilarious. And I was like, all right, I'm going to retweet this and then everyone let everyone know. I'm going to talk about this on the Goldcast. And then you reached out and you were like, hey, are you going to put me on the show or what? And I was like, this is great. Absolutely. Let's get you on the show. And then going through all of your stuff, it was awesome because I saw that you were a staff editor for China and Chatter. You've obviously done a lot of writing. For the Giants, and so just give me a little bit of the history. Tell tell a lot of fans for the Cast. So, you know, Cast, we focus on 49ers, Warriors, Giants all year round. That's what we talk about. And obviously, the war the G- Warriors are getting the most love right now. 49ers generally, this originally started as a 49er podcast. They get a lot of love. Giants don't get as much love as I want them to. Obviously, as you know, that they're the, the, the baseball is very polarizing in 2019 as far as where it is tell me how you got into writing for the San Francisco Giants and what what that's all about and you know you've kind of written for a couple different places I've seen fans cited as well and just kind of let let the fans know where you come from in that perspective
1: yeah I mean I actually I went to school for writing you know I ended up getting a degree at Santa State in broadcast journalism and and I, you know sports writing was kind of where I was planning on going when I was in school and you know 20 years later um, you know I'm, I'm doing uh, you know different blogs in different places um, for the Giants and so you know I ended up becoming a teacher so my you know that's my day job um, and ended up finding that you know teaching about writing ended up being more more fulfilling but my my true love and passion is sports I've you know grown up you know uh, r- real quickly it was like when, when you're a kid you want to be a pro athlete you know I was going to be the first three sport athlete, you know, baseball, football, basketball, you know, because <laughs> when when you grow up in the when you grow up in the era of Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders and Brian Jordan, and Charlie Ward and all these guys, you, it's like oh, two sports at once, no problem, that's easy, you know. And so when you're seven, eight years old, you're like, that's exactly what I'm gonna do, you know. What's what's up? I can't pick one sport. I gotta pick two, and you know, in my case, it was like, why not pick all three? And uh, and so yeah, so I I grew up, you know, Bay Area kid from San Jose, so you know uh, these were all my teams too and um, Giants and Warriors especially and so um, once you know once I kind of jumped on to Twitter um, back in 2012 my ori- original reason for you know throwing out a, a Twitter handle like Candlestick Will and and getting on Twitter was just to kind of follow what was going on with the Giants you know they were right in the middle of what turned out to be a second title run and And Twitter had by that time clearly become where you get the latest news, you know, where writers were putting out information, you know, first, you know, going on a website and trying to find articles. It was like that was hours later. Like if you wanted to know what happened the same inning, something happened, there'd be information on Twitter. So I jumped on Twitter, got on there and just started friending baseball fans, Giants fans, different things, and um, started writing for Baseball Essential not that long after that you know maybe only a year or two later and started doing just just giant stuff and it was great and had an opportunity to write there for a while and and then uh, a guy reached out to me and and told me about around the foghorn which was part of fansided and same exact setup as far as you know being able to write just about the giants and no no pressure to write all the time but you know trying to write you know maybe one article a week at most and um, and so it just, it was always a real nice, uh, place to find, you know, find ways to just kind of get my, my, uh, love for the giants out there and, and be a writer, which was something I always wanted to do. And, uh, the, the guy who runs China Basin Chatter has been a friend of mine on Twitter for a long time now. And a few of us from, from, uh, from, from, from around the Foghorn had, uh, decided, um, we wanted to kind of have our own place and China Basin Chatter was a, a website that had, been going in the past and had kind of fallen dormant because, um, they hadn't been writing as many articles, um, anymore. And so they wanted to kind of start it back up. And so it gave us a place to just have our own, have our own space and, and, uh, and have our own freedom to, to write about the giants, how we wanted to. And so, uh, you know, we, it's a good core group of guys and, and, and girls. And, um, we, you know, talk about all, all giants levels, you know, minor leagues as well. And, I have some minor league experts as well as, as guys who love to talk about the, the pro team and yeah, the last three years, you know, it's hasn't been as fun to write about, you know, I, I literally wrote an article this last week about how good the 2022 giants are going to be with uh, these added draft picks and uh, guys like Joey Bart and Heliot Ramos and Marco Luciano and some of these uh, prospects, but that, that, you know, leaves a lot to be desired for the next few years.
0: Absolutely. And actually I read that article and that was a great article. And I think, for the Giants fans that's i feel like really we're in a position right now where basically we're we're waiting for for Boch's swan song to finish and all due respect he deserves to go out exactly the way he wants to i think he's he has more than earned that right with the Giants i'm not even mad i'm not bothered i'm not angry i'm like boch boch deserves to go out the way he does and then once he's gone I really want to see what Zerady going to do because I feel like the next year is truly the beginning of Zerady's era as president of baseball operations. And I really want to see what he does with this team. And that article you put out about the 2022 team, I think is really where the the Giants fans are. The Giants fans that really keep up with this team and really follow what's going on. I think our eyes, we're sitting here, we're saying goodbye to Boach. But everyone has an eye towards 2020 and beyond because this is a team. Just given Zerati's tra- track record, he's going to need about two or three years. But given what he did with the Dodgers, if they, if he can do, if he can replicate that success here, you're really looking at a team in the next two to three years that is going to be once again dominating the NL West. What do you think about
1: that? Well, I agree. I mean, you, you look at you know the the things that he did that I think are you know the the most um, well known as far as you know. What, what Giants fans were kind of hoping for this year was the guys like the Chris Taylors and the Max Muncies and, you know, trying to find those diamonds in the rough. And, and, you know, maybe we've found a couple in, uh, you know, a Tyler Austin or a Trevor got, you know, maybe we found, you know, a couple of pieces that might last beyond this year. Um, you know, the, the a guy, getting a guy like Kevin Pillard doesn't necessarily fit the mold of what they were looking for, but I also think there's, Um, some internal pressure outside of of, uh, Farhan to, you know, bring guys in that can help them do better, you know, today. Um, But at the same time, you know, Pilar's contract doesn't, you know, ends next year. So, you know, they're not looking to make any long term commitments. You know, Derek Holland's contract ends at the end of the year. Most of their veterans that they most of the veteran players they brought in were either minor league deals or one year deals. And uh, so there's no there's no added um, inflexibility. Um, You know, one of the reasons I wrote the piece as the 2022 Giants is because all the veterans on this team go through 2021, for the most part, Um, with uh, Longoria is the only contract that's guaranteed through 2022. And uh, and Posey has an option to 2022. So um, you know, by then I can't imagine that Posey or Longoria are still giants. And even, even if they are, you know, Posey's, you know, not the same, uh, he's not going to be asked to do the same things he's doing now. So, you know, by then Crawford will be somewhere else if he's still playing belt, same thing. And, and so it, it'll be a, a huge transition, you know, and, you know, we can have conversations about, should they extend Will Smith? Should they extend Bumgarner? Should they trade them both? Should they trade them both and then try to bring them both back? you know all those different combinations but when you're just looking at what they have in the system it's going to take a few years before those players become you know a huge part of their core um you know Joey Bart could be up as soon as September um the way Heliot Ramos is hitting in San Jose maybe he's only you know uh, in the minors for another year or so as young as he is um you know right now you know, we've seen that with guys. You know, like in Atlanta with Acuna and uh, Soto, and in Washington, that teams are realizing that the sooner you bring a guy up when they've shown they can they can play, the cheaper it is to play them during their prime years. You're not losing um, at bats and innings to guys. You know, in the minors when they could be producing in the in the major league level.
0: Yeah, it is. It is very interesting and I love that I love that article. Definitely you guys go check it out. If you go to at Candlestick Will, he's friends of mine on Twitter. You can go right over there and you can see it. You could find links to China Basin Chatter and you could see the article he's talking about, especially all of our diehard Giants fan. Go check that out because it gives you some excitement for what's happening in the future. And it just kind of reiterates what we talked about on the gold cast previously that the Giants as currently constructed we really you really just kind of have to hold through this year and 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 next year and the year and the year after is when they start beginning the real the real big rebuild. So, you know, it's just one more year and I'm actually fine. Like I've said, I'm fine with them being where they're at. I I don't mind. Let Bochy leave on his terms. The man brought us a dynasty. He he broke a 50-year streak of no World Series. That run from 2010 to 2014, was so epic. There was every single year that those guys were there. That Everybody counted us out. No one said the Giants were going to make it. They come in from the wild card from 2014 to go all the way to Game 7 against Kansas City. Basically, Bochy, and the way Bochy structured that postseason with Bumgarner, using him as your core, that is essentially the blueprint for how the Cubs won it Two years later, so really, I really can't. You really can't say enough about Bochi and what he did. I mean, his his style of managing in the post influenced and changed the game for the rest of
1: this decade. If you if we were having this conversation in two thousand nine, talking about hey, hopefully by two thousand twelve we'll be good. It's like it'd be a different conversation. I think once we won won a championship, for me especially, it was like I had always been saying I want one championship in my lifetime, and so to have three, it's you know mind boggling. And uh, I, I, we don't have the sh- shift to Warriors talk yet. But the idea that I could see my favorite baseball team win three championships and then see my favorite basketball team suddenly become the greatest dynasty we've ever seen because no, none of us were alive during the Celtics run. It's like, what what is happening? How does this world completely 180 <laughs> from the the Warriors that had you know traded Tim Hardaway for Bimbo Coles and the Giants that – Thought JR Phillips was the answer when they traded Will Clark. Like, I mean, you know, it's like to see to see these teams completely one eighty from what they were in our, in our youth. You know, it's 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 incredible, or at least it's in like, my youth. I don't know if we're the same age.
0: We know we probably are. We, we probably are. I was I was born in eighty, so I was there for the okay. So yeah, we're
1: both we're both. I'm thirty nine, so yeah, we're we're both nineteen eighty uh, yep. kids. So there we go.
0: Yep, yep, absolutely. I was there through the my earliest my earliest memory. Of a championship was uh, it's either 88 or 89 and even my dad can't remember anymore he can't confirm but we after we won the Super Bowl my dad piles us into his car he is a white regal at the time white regal lowrider we go down the mission district and I I kid you not he's wearing the classic vintage gold 49ers jacket which I own I own the very I own his jacket I own like several more he sticks his hand out of his car, and he's high-fiving the drivers on the other, going the opposite direction down Mission Street. We're going down past 23rd, 22, 21, on our way to downtown. That was my earliest memory of a championship. But I think what you did, that was a great segue. Let's go right into this about the Warriors. I agree. We've been banging this drum on the Goldcast for years now that w- what 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 has happened with San Francisco Bay Area Sports this decade uh, the Niners losing 2012 is still the most heartbreaking thing out of everything. All the success, I am still upset and hurt about it. I can, I've never, I've only seen that game once. I, they played it over the weekend. I saw it on a TV, yeah, and I literally just bolted. I was like, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know. I can't remember if I sent out a. I think I might have sent out a tweet being like, you know, attention, Niner fans, just a heads up. Like it's kind of like a warning. I, I you know, I, I. <laughs> I, I, maybe I didn't actually I don't I mean we can we can look back, but I don't know if I sent that tweet or not, but I I was doing it kind of as a warning. As like I'm not sure if uh if 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 my if the Niner fans out there can handle it. Yeah. But no. it just like maybe don't turn to two twelve, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And but this run back-to-back dynasties I, I always talk about the the 49ers run from 81 to 95 epic 15-year run basically the precursor to what we're seeing with the patriots now you know it, this was the the precursor to it the only difference what i what i find more impressive about the 49ers run is that the 49ers we did it with two different head coaches two different starting quarterbacks we the core the 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 primary core of quarterback and coach changed and we still maintain that success. And Steve Young, we always talk about this on the gold cast. The perfect stat. The perfect stat is Joe Montana: four Super Bowl rings, three MVPs, eleven touchdown passes, zero interceptions. A perfect stat. Literally, he is flawless. I, no one. I don't. I don't know if we'll ever see that get broken. And if we do, I hope it's someone in a red and gold uniform. But Joe Montana, uh, Steve Young, continues the trend of the perfect stat. He is flawless in his Super Bowl win. Just. I just never thought we'd see a run like that again and to get it with the other two teams and as you said Giants were always kind of you know always the bridesmaid never the bride Warriors were competitive but you know you no one ever really thought the Warriors were actually going to win a series and for both these teams you got the Giants breaking the 50 year streak Warriors breaking the 40 year streak back to back we have won more championships in this 10 year era in the big three than the Boston has, which no one ever talks about. And that drives me nuts. But what do you think about this overall success? Cause it is, it's like you said, it's mind boggling what, what they've done.
1: Well, I mean, and you know, if, if we're the same age, then we, we saw just the hideousness of the Chris Cohan era with yes. the Warriors and just how, how many, how many bad decisions and, you know, it, we, whether it was, you know, not risking uh, taking someone like Kevin Garnett out of high school which was would have been a huge out of nowhere risk to take joe smith or you know choosing not to go after kobe bryant even you know even though he wanted to go to the lakers it's like well draft kobe bryant and trade for vladi divots you know it's like mm-hmm. you know have mm-hmm. some foresight and to like we well, still go get the best player and then have a great asset and then and then who, who knows maybe he does come to you anyway um although if i was kobe i wouldn't have wanted to go anywhere near the warriors but you know all these all the trades i you know i mentioned that you know Giving up Tim Hardaway because he tore an ACL, you know, with the idea that like you you can, mean you can't recover from a ACL, like come on Warriors uh, organization, we were begging for Larry Ellison to buy the team, you know, and then we get some guy named Joe Lacob who we don't know who it is, and uh, and and then hilariously he trades Monte Ellis like right afterwards, which was the right move, and I was I was one of the few Warrior fans was like why are you why do you care about Monte Ellis this much when you know, Andrew Bogut's clearly a, a better fit for a championship team. And Monte Ellis is a six man who've been, who's been asked to be a starter. Like I spent 30 years watching the warriors have a bunch of six men start. And, you know, Monte mm-hmm. Ellis was the bet was one of the best of those six men, <laughs> but he was not, you know, as good as he is, he was always better being able to come off the bench and just be a scorer the way a uh, Lou Williams and a uh, Jamal Crawford uh, were. And, um, just because he was never a great defender and he was always quick, but he you know, couldn't stay with guys, you know, for 40 minutes, but you put him out there, you know, and he can score 20 a night off the bench. That's pretty elite, um, for that, that kind of spot. And, you know, it was just seeing the way that things were mismanaged to the, then all of a sudden you go out and you get Jerry West and it just totally changed everything, you know, suddenly, it was like, okay, now this owner's putting his money where his mouth is. He's going out and getting the best people, the smartest people, um, you know. And it's 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 still hard to, to, to put into words like how that all happened because I, I told a story. I don't know if I shared it on Twitter or not, but um, I was telling it the other day that when Steph Curry, I guess it, it might have been his rookie year, I was still a season ticket holder at the time, and my – Uh, season ticket rep was like hey we want to give you an autographed jersey of a player um, for you know being such a loyal season ticket holder and so we have two choices we have Andres Biedrens or Steph Curry and Steph Curry's had you know was having ankle injuries and was already being rumored to be traded to the Suns for Stoudemire on draft day and they were talking about you know maybe he's going to get traded and Andres Biedrens had a long-term contract so guess which jersey I own
0: Uh uh-oh <laughs> you
1: know what I mean so I, I could have a I I could have a rookie Steph Curry autographed jersey in my in my possession oh, that I own an Andre speeders and oh the reason, man and, and the and the reason is 100% of the reason is is the scar tissue the Warriors have given me for 20 years like that was post- totally not your fault
0: totally not that, your fault
1: that was post we believe that was post you know and we, we had that team for 16 games in a playoff run we immediately trade Jason Richardson I mean, the amount of guys that should have stayed Warriors longer and amount of guys who were Warriors, you know, f- for way too quick and all. I mean, it, it was so much bad management throughout that when it came to that decision, I was like, Curry's not even going to be a Warrior in a couple of years. You know, you look at someone like Gilbert Arenas, who was a nice, uh, a nice player for the Warriors, it was coming into his own. And then as soon as he became a, a he could have become a free agent, he immediately bolts for another team. And the Warriors don't match. And it's like, so what chance is Curry going to be? A, you know, no one at that time thought Curry would be what he was. But even if Curry stayed with the Warriors, it was only going to be for a couple of years before they traded him. Like, that was just what you thought. And so I'm sitting there going, well, at least Beatrice has a long-term deal. I guess he'll be around for a while. So I got the jersey of the guy I thought would be there longer. Yeah. And, you know, so to, to, to think that from that point, you know, it's like now, like now that I admit that the idea that I would have thought that Steph Curry would become who he became would not only stop getting, um, brutal ankle injuries, but then become basically one of the, you know, most revolutionary figures in all of sports. It's like, it, 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 I can't, I still can't process that. You know, I'm having a hard time even, you know, saying words right now, trying to put, you know, context into what this is, what this has become. And, uh, and then to hit home runs on, clay Thompson to hit home runs on Draymond green when he was the third guy you drafted, you know, clearly the warriors didn't know what they had in Draymond, um, or they would have drafted him with a seventh pick. And, you know, so you, you look at the, all those guys. And then those three in particular, all three of them have been getting, you've been, have been given a ton of money from the warriors. And most guys, when they get that kind of a contract, they completely stop. They shut it down. They're like, now, I, now I can just coast. And it's not because they, those players are bad players, but it's like, Usually once you get paid, it's like, okay, now I can relax now. If I have an injury, I'm going to take my time with it, you know? Um, And these guys are hungrier than ever to, you know, win another championship. And most teams are lucky to have one guy like that. You know, the Warriors have three like that. And, and then, you know, having a guy like Andre DiDalla, you know, that, that signing was, that, that signing was bigger than Durant. That's how big that was because nobody ever came to the Warriors, and Iguodala looked at what Silicon Valley could bring to him off the, off the court, saw what they had in, 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 uh, in clay and Steph, and said, I can, I can help that. I can help here. I can help bring it, you know, bring a championship here. And the idea that any player of any talent actually thought they could help the warriors win. I mean, that had never happened before. We're, we're signing guys like Derek Fisher for 35 million, you know, mm-hmm. in free agency. I mean, we don't, we couldn't get a decent player to come to the warriors. And so as big as Durant, I mean Durant's the biggest free agent signing in sports history, maybe, but Iguodala was bigger for what it meant to start this whole journey and and build this into a winner. And and so the idea that the Warriors are still you know three games away from another championship is just incredible.
0: It is incredible, and to think that even when he got here, uh, he was told he was told that you know they're gonna they're gonna need him off the bench, which was insane when Kerr came here. That and and he did it, and he did it, and and proved to be so, as you said, so instrumental to these runs because of that sacrifice and because of the selflessness. You know, he could have, in a a sport where diva is king, he did the opposite, and it's incredible. Now, let's talk, let's let's get into this now, Uh, since we're here. Game three, we both said off-air that had we recorded this last night, there would have been just F-bombs left and right. I'm still so pissed off. About it, and it's not the Warriors' fault. It's nobody's fault. It's not the Warriors. It's it's just injury, Ladin. You you can't you can't even be angry at the Warriors. Although I do feel there was another gear for this team. But you know, I always talk on the cast. Michael, why don't you give 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 everyone your opinion on this? What did you see? How frustrated were you? What was your journey through a frustrating, frustrating Game Three
1: last night? Well, the the, fir- the first thing that I'll mention before I do any kind of ranting and raving of any kind or of any version is. You know, when you, when you give up 17 threes and you have 14 turnovers, there's, there's not much more you need to say as to why you lost. Yes. Um, most of those 17 threes were wide open, you know, like the idea that Danny green could go six for eight from three suggests that even when he was art, when he had already made three or four, we're still leaving him wide open. I mean, that's, that's just irresponsible. Um, you know, no matter, you know, we saw that in game one a little bit with Siakam. It's like once he establishes himself in the first half as having a hot hand, then you don't let him get comfortable ever again. And, you know, Ron Adams is a genius and they're amazing at making adjustments in game to handle things like that. And I thought that was the one thing that they were um, really poor at was, you know, locking down defensively on keeping guys like Danny Green and Kyle Lowry from getting open looks at the end of games uh, or at the end of, at the end of that game, because, you know, Kyle Lowry gets an open look in games one or two. You're fine with it because he wasn't doing well in game three, his shot was falling. So he was shooting with confidence. He was looking for his shot in the second half. Why are you giving him opportunities to shoot in rhythm? And so that to me is the number one reason we, you know, we, we could waste some time on here talking about how, abhorrent it is that Mark Davis was a lead referee in a finals game because he's an obscenely horrible referee how
0: bad were those calls though let's you know one second
1: they were on both ends of the ball there were some really there were some really terrible calls but you know the the Warriors have played for five years now with all these same referees you know it's not like this isn't Mark Davis's first finals with the Warriors you know Scott Foster and Ed Malloy and all, all these guys that we've learn their names you know usually a, a good referee crew is three that you don't even know who they are um, so the fact that we know their names obviously you know the fact that we know who tony brothers is just means that he's probably made some bad calls but you know they they made bad calls in these first three games against the warriors and for the warriors you know, there was calls that you know obviously steph curry carried on that one three um, but obviously Kawhi Leonard traveled too so you know usually things even out the fact that they missed like three goaltends is pretty pathetic. Um, That three, uh, that three referees could all miss it um, multiple times. But, you know, all that being said, you have to, you have to get out of, out of your own way and say, you know what, I can't control a bad call, but I can't control how I react to it. You know, I think I don't want to rip the guy, but you know, after a really good game two, DeMarcus cousins had a really bad game three and part of the reason he had a bad game three was every time he went to the hole, there was contact. Every time they didn't call a foul, he got frustrated and it hurt him going back to, to play defense and it hurt the team. And had he gotten out of his own way and just played and then talked to the referee during a timeout, then maybe they play better defensively and maybe they do better and maybe he handles the next possession better. Um, but it seemed like he was doing a lot of sulking on the on the court. And that's, I think, part of the reason why Bogut played so many minutes was I think Kerr was like, look, if you're not going to be engaged out there when there's a mistake, then we can't play you. And, you know, yeah, he did get fouled a few times and they didn't call it. But, you know, yes, yes, they missed the goaltend that was a clear goaltend. But you you have to get over it. You know, Draymond is one of the um, the worst examples sometimes at, you know, overreacting to referees and those kind of things. But. Draymond has also done a lot better since that conversation he had about you know trying to be better for his son and watching his son flop and realizing that he was having a bad influence on him and and he's been much less of himself the last few games um especially in these finals where even if he gets mad at a referee he's he doesn't go at go after the referee the way he used to and get technicals because that hurts your team and um and so I think that's something that Demarcus needs to realize is that, look, no matter what mistakes they might make, we make mistakes too. You know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you know, throw a bad pass. You're going to, you know, have a turnover here and there. The refs are going to make mistakes too. So you you have to get out of that um, mindset that they're out to get you or that oh I can't believe you made that call. Just play. And the Warriors have done a better job than every other team in the last five years at getting over that and just playing. You know, while James Harden and Chris Paul complain to the refs on every possession, the Warriors take the lead. And, you know, we beat the the Rockets every year because of that. Because ultimately, you know, we do a better job, even when, you know, Draymond's at his worst, we still do a collective better job at, you know, just playing. And just looking for open shots and just playing defense. And, you know, right now, the Raptors are playing better. And the Raptors have played better than we have in the first three games.
0: So let's talk about that. So in the first half, I agree with you. The the defense was sorely lacking. You're seeing you in especially in the first in the first half you're seeing the Raptors just get in the paint with ease. A couple wide open threes, but they're just rolling into the paint. And then then in the second half, okay, so the Warriors start doing a better job of defending the paint, but now you've got the Raptors just throwing dropping threes with ease. And it just seemed to be an overall mismatch on defense, but don't you think a little bit of that has to, has to fall on the shoulders of the fact that we don't have Clay Thompson, who's one of the best two-way players in the game?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you look at the versatility they had in game two to be able to play Clay Thompson and Andre Godala and, and even Livingston, who's, you know, Livingston's not the defender he used to be, but he's, he's okay, but when Livingston suddenly becomes your second best defender on the, on the perimeter um, instead of your third or fourth you know, that, that changes a lot of things. You know, Draymond, Draymond's at his best when he can be more of a center fielder and, you know, free safety type and be able to just kind of roam and help with all five guys on the floor. And when he, when he has to be completely locked in on a guy, it means that there's no extra help for anyone else. And so it, it really does change the way our defense is. So when Andre Iguodala is trying to lock up one guy, whoever that is, and Draymond's got to be on somebody else, those other three guys then are way more exposed than they normally are. And, you know, last night, a lot of times it was guys like Bogut and guys like Quinn Cook and Alfonso McKinney. And, you know, those those are nice players, but when they're all on the floor at the same time, that really does change the dynamic. And, you know, if, if Clay can go in game four, that changes a lot of things, but mostly it changes things defensively. Because, you know, as good as he is offensively, he's always been underrated defensively and, you know, just proof by the fact that he still never won a first team defense, you know, all NBA defense. And even this year, just finally got on an all defensive team for the first time in his career. And he's outside of Kawhi Leonard. He's the best two way two way player in the game hundred percent.
0: No question. So you actually dropped some news on me before we started that we haven't talked about on the
1: Goldcast. Talk about Kevin Looney, Kevon Looney. Well, it, it's a, it was reported by ESPN. So, you know, it seems like any time that uh, Adrian Wojnarowski says something, it's about as close to fact as it can get. But he had just um, shared out that the Warriors have reevaluated evaluated Kavon Looney's shoulder again and that he might return for the finals. Now, I don't know if that means return maybe for game seven with a 10% chance, or if that means, you know, maybe he can play through the pain in game four. I don't, I don't know where that scale is. But the way the report went, just went that they were going to, you know, evaluate him again. But after a, after an, another, another evaluation, it looks like now he's not completely out um, for the finals. Now it's a chance. Maybe he could return. Maybe that's because, you know, they saw some optimism with, with him waking up this morning and feeling like he felt better. Maybe it was because Andrew Bogut played 21 minutes and, uh, and, and DeMarcus cousins didn't have a great game. And suddenly they went to Kavan and said, are you sure your shoulders? All right. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're not, <laughs> you know, are you, sure, are you sure you can't handle the pain, you know, or whatever. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know, uh, some of the inner workings obviously, but if, if Wojnowski says it, it's about as close to fact as you can get from reporting. So, um, you know, the way I look at it is that, you know, the same reason, even the fact that DeMarcus Cousins is playing is pretty crazy considering the injury he had, you know, back in April. So, um, you know, w- one thing we've learned from the Warriors is that they're, they're not very good at um, letting us know about injuries because we were under the impression that could, that Uh, Kevin Durant was definitely going to play before he actually has played and he still hasn't played. Um, You know, I would think that the most likely to play game four is clay and uh, it's possible maybe Durant plays. I, I would, I would think Durant might maybe wouldn't be back until game five just because it's only two more days, um, you know, between games three and four. So I would think that they would, you know, maybe wait until game five for Durant and then, uh, and then Kavon, I don't have any optimism because if he, if he really did mess up his shoulder, I can't imagine he'd be able to play with that. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, but as a big, you know, it's not like you have to, you're not, you're not, you're ne- you're, ne- you're never, shooting, <laughs> you know, Kevon Ludi never shoots. So, you know, it, then it's just, all right, can you handle the, the banging inside? And I don't think he would be able to, but you know, if he's got any kind of a pain threshold, like clay Thompson, then maybe he could, I don't know. Um, well, you know, well, you know he,
0: for, for me, or the, oh, sorry. The, so for me, the, the thing, the thing that makes me most concerned is that if it's his collar, if it's his collarbone, how does he raise his arms up to defend?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I just don't, I just don't know. I mean, the the idea that he could play on it seems pretty crazy. I also, I mean, it's not, it's not a small thing that Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Kevon Looney are all free agents. And so there's a lot of uncertainty about next year for them, even if even if it's, you know, pretty well established that no matter what happens these next few games, Durant will probably get his max money and Klay Thompson will probably get his max money. But Kavon Looney has never made big money in the NBA Uh, from NBA. You know, he's made a few million dollars, so he's made a lot of money. But in NBA money, (laughs) that's not very much. And he is coming off playing for a team who's won multiple championships and he was a big piece of that. So in the offseason, he has a chance to make a ton of money. And it, you know, whether it's from the warriors, you know, deciding to, to keep him or whether some other team decides to, to offer him starter money. And so there's a huge risk there if he plays injured and then ends up hurting his shoulder worse. You know, I don't know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know the inner workings of, of shoulders. I, I've always gotten the impression that if you, or injured bone that somehow that's an easier thing to heal and fix. Whereas muscles and, and everything else can be a lot more complicated. So if it's just a, a, a bone, then maybe, you know, even hurting it worse or just fighting through the pain won't hurt him long term. I, I don't know. Um, I haven't heard anyone say that, you know, what that injury would be like if he were to re-injure it or, or injure it worse. But I got to imagine that it's for his career, you know, it, it would make sense for him not to not to do anything that would create long term damage. If he can't create long term damage and it's just a pain threshold thing, then, you know, then it's up to him. And I can tell from the way he's played the last couple of years that he seems to only care about winning like most warriors. But, you know, that's also because he's been he's been part of such a winning culture. So, you know, you take him from that, you know, maybe he maybe that changes. And so maybe the money matters more than we realize. You know, I don't know. Um, not suggesting that if he doesn't play somehow, it's only because of money, but, um, but just the idea that like, there's a, he has a lot on his plate to, you know, try to make the best decision for him. And as a, as a fan, I'd love for him to find a way to play. Cause he's a huge part of what they do.
0: Absolutely. Agreed. 100%. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to fire off some questions for you. I want to, I want to hear what you think. Let's, let's, let's go through a little quick round table. Does Kevin Durant, Play again in this NBA Finals.
1: Number yes.
0: one, yes. yes. Okay, I'm, I'm the, predicting. Ga- I'll predict game five. game five. Okay, that's the first one. Second one, is Kevin Durant still in a Warriors uniform come next October?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Maybe. Possibly. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I think you sound like everyone. I. I really think this. This idea that the Warriors are not going to sign him to a max contract for $300 million for the next five or six years, that the Warriors aren't going to drop that on the table, I think is ludicrous. I think 100% they do, and I, I, I think the real caveat is whether or not Kevin Durant wants to do it, but I feel like as we've gotten deeper into this postseason, the idea that he is just going to be up and gone has has definitely withered it's not as strong, and it I honestly, it feels like most of the time, it's coming from beat writers more than anybody else. I,
1: I think it's, I think it's coming from 365 days straight of having to cover it, and you, you don't want to say the same thing for 12 months, so you come up with other versions of the same story. This is the weirdest offseason I've ever seen from an NBA standpoint, as far as any kind of like. We 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 tend to feel like clay is definitely coming back and Kawhi is definitely going to the Clippers like those are the two kind of of the free agents. Those are the two that people would have put the most confidence in um, and but it's like who knows what Kyrie's going to do who knows what Kevin Durant's going to do and to be honest who knows what Kawhi is going to do you know clay seems like the only one of the big group that is probably going to just stay with the Warriors. The, there's the chances that Lake doesn't offer him a max contract is probably like less than 1%. Um, to me, because you have one, any team that has a super max player, they're more than likely going to be over the cap. And as soon as you're over the cap, especially in the Warriors case where they're making a boatload of money and they're just opening the chase center, which has already sold like billions of dollars worth of, you know, sweets and whatever. So money's not an issue for the Warriors, you know, in the, in these last few years. So, Going over the cap is kind of irrelevant, like how much over the cap you go. So, when people say, Oh, Draymond Green's not a max player, well, that doesn't mean you don't give them the max, max allowable contract. Because, what would it really make a lot of would it really make sense to tell a player who you think is a core player, We're going to lowball you because we don't think your market value is worth max money? Like, why not overpay and just say, Look, we're going to give you every penny we're allowed to give you because that's how much we believe in you, whether you think it's the smartest financial move or not, because what's an extra few million dollars um, when you're already over the cap? Like you can't, you're, it's not like if you if you give Draymond Green or Clay Thompson 3 million less a year that you'd be able to get more in free agency because you wouldn't, you're still over the cap. So you're only going to be able to get guys from mid-level exceptions and and draft players anyway, or, or make trades. So, you know, I my thing is, you offer Durant the max, you offer Clay the max and then you start talking about uh, extension talks with Draymond and even Iguodala cuz as much as he's kind of flirted with the idea that he might retire, I don't think he wants to go anywhere and if you offer him the same kind of money he's been making, I don't think he leaves.
0: Yeah. All right, that's great. Another one. Does Clay come back? This, MB- uh, that, this NBA Finals, this NBA yeah. Finals.
1: Oh, and then the NBA Finals. I I do I do think he'll come back for Game Four because I I do think he was ready to play Game Three hurt, and they just wouldn't let him. So I think their compromise was we'll we'll let you play Game Four if you sit out Game yeah, Three. Yeah,
0: I agree. Uh, I, does Clay Clay come back in a Warriors uniform in October?
1: That that's the one. It, that's I'm more confident in that in that happening than about any about anything else this off season. That's the one thing I'm probably the most confident in.
0: I completely 100% agree. I don't know how many more times Clay can say, I want to spend the rest of my life in a Warriors uniform before people believe him. Like he literally says it every time he's asked it and still we have beat writers trying to push this idea that Clay could be somewhere else next year when he has repeatedly said the entire year, I want to be in a Warriors uniform for the rest of my career.
1: Well, and and, he, and I think he also knows, he said he said it the other day when he was talking about, when they asked, they asked him about Steph and he talked about their their relationship, but it's it's a perfect relationship because he's such a good two-way player. And Steph has become such a revolutionary player. They feed off each other perfectly. Clay doesn't ever have to be the voice of the team. You know, the voice of the team is Steph. Um, So some of the things that Clay doesn't like to do, like talk to the media as much and, and, and have to, you know, do some of the things that that Steph does is like, as literally the brand of the team you know, he can be that other guy and he's fine with that. He's fine being less, you know, uh, less in the spotlight. And then on the floor, he knows how valuable he is to protecting Steph by taking the, the, the top perimeter player on defense and by being such a uh, great shooter to create um, spacing for Steph and vice versa. So they, because they are paired so perfectly together, which is the other reason why, you know, you know a, sh- a shout out to the logo for having the foresight to see that, Monte Ellis and Steph weren't a good fit, but that Clay Thompson, who didn't, who wasn't a good defender in college and just was a shooter, had the makeup and the body type to be a good defender, and that would be a better fit with Steph. I mean, it's the amount of the amount of ways that we need to thank uh, Jerry West for what he's done for those Warriors uh, franchises is very very underrated. But but that one's as big as it is, and I think Clay's smart enough to know that any money he can get elsewhere, it's better to just stay with the warriors and 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 not worry about trying to win a t- win win on his own the way that people want Durant to.
0: Yeah, exactly. I agree 100% on that. Okay. Last question about the Warriors and then I want to ask you a couple 49ers questions before we go. Last question, who wins the series? How many games?
1: Well, I had I had said Warriors in 5 before the series started with all these injuries. Um, I'm going to I'll still say I'll just screw it. I'll say Warriors in six because as as silly as that sounds, the way they're playing, um, I do think Clay comes back and they find a way to win at home in game four. And once they have that, I do think that that would then bring Durant back for game five. And so I'm, I'm basing this prediction partly on that, but also the way that Steph's playing and the fact that Draymond proved in game two, that as soon as they see mistakes, he knows how to kind of fix it defensively. That I, I do think that they they get it that okay it's two one now all the things that have happened no one cares it's just us now we've got everything against, you know against us so let's just go out and win three in a row and it's it's a crazy idea to think that they could they could do that but yeah Warriors and six seems like exactly what'll happen so um, and w- what would be nice about Warriors and six um, from a Warrior standpoint is that. What a, what a way to end this five-year run at Oracle with a home game to win it out.
0: That would be the best, literally the best. Okay. Two, two 49ers questions, and then I'll let you go. This has been a fantastic conversation. I've had a great time with you. So number one, does Jimmy G play the whole season
1: this year? Um, I'll say no, but mostly because very few quarterbacks ever play 16 games. So I, I don't, I don't think he has another devastating injury. Um, but I also think that, um, it's become such a brutal sport. And even with all the rules changes to try to help keep quarterbacks healthy, um, it's really hard to play 16 games. So okay. uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put, if I, if you're, if you're asking me to put like an over under, I, I would see under,
0: under, okay. Under 16. All right. So then last 49ers season, where does it, where, where what is our, what is our final win loss record for the year?
1: All right. So let's assume then, based on what I just said, that like uh, Garoppolo plays like 14 games. It seemed like last year from from my timeline alone that uh, the, the the kid that I, I forgot his name now, but the kid that backed up uh, ended up backing up. Jimmy G ended up being pretty decent. So um, I would think that that would lead to, you know, eight and eight, nine and seven as like maybe the 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 baseline. Because Jimmy G is such a difference maker um, compared to other. And we've seen that in over the years, you know, when Aaron Rodgers is out, the Packers are terrible When Aaron Rodgers comes back. You know, they're a playoff team. Um, So it's incredible the way this sport has changed to where the quarterback just matters that much. Um, So if he plays 14 games, I think they can have a winning record. You know, so I would, I would say, and, and the, I, I haven't been following, um, I mean, just to be perfectly honest, I haven't been following football the way I used to. I, I'm, I'm basically completely in on, you know, the day Kaepernick stopped playing was the day I stopped watching. So I, there's a whole nother bag of worms if you, you wanted to go down that road road with me. But, um, between that and the, and the CTE stuff that the, that the NFL tried to hide from the players, uh, I've just kind of tapped out, but I still follow along, um, on, on Twitter, especially because I have a lot of people on, online that care deeply about the Niners like you do. And, uh, and so I do, I do tend to still pay attention and, you know, so if Jimmy G can be healthy, then I could see a, a winning record. So I would, I would put that at nine and seven. Um, but you know, the, the NFL has become so crazy because injuries happen so much more frequently, it seems. And as soon as someone goes down, it changes the, the whole complexion of the team. Um, so even with uh, all these de- these young defensive players they've drafted the last few years that seem like they could all kind of mesh together pretty well. You know, how good is their defense? How much depth they have? It doesn't seem like many Niner fans think too highly of their defensive backfield. So that could really, you know, uh, make make a, a huge difference on how many wins they have. But like I said, quarterback has clearly become the feature position Times a million, way before, you know, the era of Montana and Young, you know, was mattered. It was, you know, we you still could win with a really good defense and a decent quarterback. Um, I don't, I don't think a Jeff Hostedler led Giants or a Trent Dilfer led Ravens can win a Super Bowl um, anymore. The way the the way the league's changed.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a very fair point. I I have them pretty close. You were thinking of Nick Mullins, by the way. It was Nick Mullins was the was the backup Q you thinking of? But the, I think the. I'd say I'm putting the 49ers at eight and eight. I I agree. I would say let's say we put the over under for games. Uh, Jimmy G plays at ten. I would say over, but I would say maybe fourteen. I put him at like fourteen games. You know, somewhere, but somewhere between like twelve and fourteen total. Uh, I could see him definitely being hurt for and being out for a couple games. I'm just nervous. I you know he is yet to fulfill the amount of games he was supposed to play except for that that middle that middle seat his first season with the 49ers when he played the last five but the year before he di- he couldn't finish the amount of games he was supposed to play while Brady was out and then last year obviously the injury against Kansas City so i'd put them about 8 and 8 but uh i i look forward to this Hey, this was a great talk. Mike, I'm really glad you reached out to me. I'm super glad I got you on the show. You got to come back on uh, w- as we get closer to the end of the NBA Finals. Let's do this again and wrap up the NBA Finals.
1: What do you say? Sounds perfect, man. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. It was it was fun, and I, I always love talking sports, man. So um, you can hit me up whenever you want. Awesome. Thank
0: you. And you can find him on Twitter at... At Candlestick Will, he is staff editor for the Ch- China Basin Chatter. And is there anything else you want to promote, plug, or announce?
1: No, man. I mean, if you go, if you go to my Twitter, it has all the things that I'm that I'm doing and, and all the things that I'm about. Um, yeah, I've actually one just a little side note. Personally, I've I've lost over a hundred pounds in the last ten months. I've been trying to get healthy. I was over three hundred and twenty pounds when I started, and I'm two twenty now. So I have a a whole separate Twitter account um, that's at Can't Until. Um, if for uh, for that journey. So if anyone's motivated or or inspired to try to get healthy and lose weight and and try and do that kind of thing, you can certainly follow me there. I have a an Instagram and a YouTube channel as well that you can all find there. But um, but yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to to be the best uh, you know, father and husband and friend I can for for me and my family. And so um, kind of got out of my own way and started you know living a, a better life. So. Um, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud of myself for what I was able to accomplish so far. And now it's just spending the rest of my life uh, maintaining that.
0: That's amazing. That is absolutely incredible. As a guy who is very big into health. And so, I, you know, I work out all the time. I eat extremely clean. I've also, I also have uh, lost weight in the past. I think that is an incredible story. I definitely want to bring you back on so we could talk a little bit more, more about that. So ch- again, check him out. He is at Candlestick Will on Twitter. Michael Saltzman. Thank you so much for being on the show, buddy.
1: All right, thanks, Rudy. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll talk soon.
0: All right, folks. That concludes an awesome episode of the Gold Cast Candlestick. Will, a writer and huge, huge, as you see, huge sports nut. And that's just the beginning of this journey. I have, I am lining up a lot of super fans from all facets 49ers, Warriors, and Giants. And I've got some surprises coming up. So, Keep in tune. Game four coming up very soon. This Friday, 6 p.m. Do not miss it. Toronto at Golden State. Game four. I agree. I'm pretty sure Clay is back for game four. And then I think we unleash Kevin Durant for game six. Or game five, I'm sorry. And then we end this mother. One thing I didn't get to say while he was on, you know, I try to be a little more subdued when other people are on. When I'm alone, you get Rudy unhinged, which is what you love, which is which is what I love to deliver. But you know what? Uh if the kids are here, you might want to fast forward 15 seconds. Fuck Kyle Lowry. All right. Little this little choke artist, this little choke artist here couldn't seriously he this little choke artist disappears in big game after big game. Have to has Kawhi Leonard sit here and save his ass every single time. And yesterday, oh, now you're the man. Now you're the man. We have the Warriors are down. Oh, now you're the man? Yeah, fuck Kyle Lowry. I just had to get that out of my system. Had to get that out. All right. Anyways, you guys can find me on Twitter at RudySelise3RD, Instagram at RudySelise3RD. Three. so concludes another edition of the gold cast we are the voice of the bay i'm your host rudy III, and we'll see you next time same gold cast time same gold cast channel they have angered a walking giant warriors here we go game four let's go
1: this is, this is the gold cast